Okay, okay. Hello, everybody. Ha <laughs> Another episode welcome, here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. Why do you keep coming back? That's a real question. So, <laughs> today's a... Uh, quality content. Quality content right here. <laughs> Wondering why we have an audience. <laughs> here we got a new episode of Odyssey Academy, and we're going to be talking about... What are we going to be talking about today, Barth? We'll be discussing the nature of morality and moral theories. Moral theories. Wow. That's a deep, deep conversation to have. And, you know, we're kind of tired right now. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) I know I am. You know, I've had a long weekend. But we'll get through this. There's a lot to uh, dive into because morality is so subjective and everyone has their own definition. And, of course, when it comes to politics, morality is such a... uh, polarized Dominant issue. factor yeah too to me uh, to yeah. be honest so and you know i would be uh really happy to actually get the input from the audience like doing a live stream and then getting like uh comments as questions and then reading those questions or something like that yeah it's like a q a session that sort of thing that's true but so far it's just us two so talking about morality <laughs> One day. One day, man. <laughs> Just got to keep producing this quality content. Yeah. <laughs> so morality, right? Yes. What's right, what's wrong. What you shouldn't do, what you should do. When it comes to human nature, it's pretty obvious that everyone has their own moral standards. So another word for morality would be principles, um, you know, moral guidelines. Things that people honestly uh, live by, pretty much. Like a set of rules. Would you say you're a moral person, Parth? Uh, to, to, oh, that's a good question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact you. that I like have to think about this, <laughs> the audience <laughs> is going to be like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Quite struggling. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, it depends on how you define morality and which moral theory you fall under. Because in a certain sense, 100% I am moral. In a different sense, I may not be so moral. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, it really just okay. depends, dude. Um, it, it's there's so many moral theories that if you go over, some of them will um, emphasize that you be more selfish, right? Like if you've heard of Ayn Rand, have you heard of Ayn Rand? Ayn Rand, remind me again. She's the. Ah, let me quickly research her because this is really important, important when figure. it comes to morality. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ayn Rand was a Russian American author. Um, she's a writer and philosopher, so she's written, you know, books like The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, and she's developed a philosophical system that's called objectivism. And objectivism, it's, I mean, I don't want to say that it's, um, it's like a moral theory because it's not, it's more of a philosophical thing, but it's, okay, so objectivism is defined as the belief that certain things especially moral truths exist independently of human knowledge or perception of them so you have to be extremely objective and rational essentially that's what what she's saying you cannot uh, you can apply all the moral theories in the world that you want coming from whichever source that you want such as religion um or let's say a public figure but there are going to be facts and certain things that like it says in the definition here exist independently of human knowledge or perception of them okay so i understand that when it comes to morality it's good to have a standpoint of i'm going to be rational 
and I'm going to take this on a fact-based um, platform. So when right. it comes to principles, it's <laughs> obvious to identify what is right and what is wrong and what is fact. So when we're getting into morality, we're diving into some deep of you know philosophy roots here. And when it comes to morality, based on my research, it pretty much branches off into three different sections. And these sections all involve the uh, term ethics. So ethics is pretty much just the study of morality. Right. Now, regarding these three branches of morality, we have one, meta-ethics, two, normative ethics, and three, applied ethics. So right. understanding morality, I think I got this from like a philosophical website. Uh, I'll link it in the description below. Definitely. Back to the branches. Uh, number one, meta-ethics. So this branch deals with just basic questions about morality itself, right? So philosophers can ask these questions and they'll just go on a tangent and they'll go days on end just trying to answer these basic questions. Questions like, what is morality? What is justice? Is there a truth? It's it's kind of a open-ended question. And it's understandable how these questions can really make people think for days on end. I mean, I'm pretty sure I couldn't even answer those questions right off the bat. Like, what is justice? And I'm pretty sure they had that question back when they made the Constitution. So, Oh, yeah. Hard stuff right there to answer. Uh, number two, normative ethics. Uh, so this type of branch deals with different other sections as well. So a lot of these branches are branching off into other things. So stay with me. <laughs> yeah. Number two, normative ethics. Uh, it branches off into three different categories. And these three different categories pretty much give a uh, simple guideline on what is ethical and what is not. So there's different types of ethics. So uh, deontology. Am I saying that right? Deontology. Um, deontology. Deontology. That's one section. Mm -hmm. uh, number two. Yep. And uh, utilitarianism. That's number yep. two. And then virtue ethics. That's number three. So, so what what are these three again? They're branches of ethics or something, or what? They're was branches it? of what's called normative ethics. So, if we go by the one by one, uh, the first one, deontology. That's how you say it, right? Deontology. Yeah. Deontology. So, basically, uh, from the the brief paragraph I read about it on my research, it's something of of principles that people follow, right? So, when it comes to an ethical person, someone who is uh, falling under this category of deontology is someone who is dutiful, right? Someone who always follows the rules. So there's there's a a list of rules that this individual follow always in every situation. Rules like don't steal, don't lie, don't I don't know commit adultery, don't murder. And this kind of mindset can be applied to something like the Catholic Church and the Ten Commandments, or you know. If you're in a professional job and you're following a code of ethics. So an example of this type of mindset would be, imagine you're a computer programmer, okay? And yeah. there's a missile headed your way. Uh, it's not headed your way, but it's headed towards, you know, the country you live in, right? And it's headed for a heavily populated area. And you as a computer programmer have a code of ethics to follow. And one of those code of ethics says you will never hack any system so you have to follow that rule no matter what but when it comes to right. this situation this missile is going to end up killing a bunch of people so you have to make a decision on either you're not going to follow the rule or you're going to follow the rule of not hacking a system the missile here i'm considering a system okay that's, that's the idea behind that mindset 
And I think in most cases, many people will break that rule, that, that code of ethic right there on not hacking and hack the missile so they can save a bunch of lives. I know I would. Definitely. So that's the idea. Yeah, I would too. But it, so, so would that be, if you did go with that, then you would be a utilitarian, correct? Yeah. So that goes into the second category here, the second section where uh, it's a form of consequences, right? So always asking the question, like, what is fair? What is unfair? And th- this kind of uh, thinking can be applied to, I would assume, our justice system right now that we have in America. So uh, we have reason-based approach toward, you know, uh, different degrees of a crime. So we determine what's the punishment, what is fair, what is unfair. And we pretty much delegate through that type of process. That's pretty much the second section right there. The third section, which is uh, virtue ethics, is pretty much just uh, ethics through experience. So, you know, you go through your life and, you know, you either have these role models like your dad or a mentor or a teacher. And they pretty much teach you what is ethical and what is unethical. So that's pretty much ethic through experience. Mm -hmm. That's as far as I know in respect to the three sections right there in respect to normative ethics. Uh, We could expand on those one by one if you wanted to. But what do you think so far? So, So that's a good question, yeah. Um. I actually wrote a paper in uh, college when I was taking an English class and actually the, so, so let me start from here. The professor basically explained what deontology versus utilitarianism was. And she gave us a prompt to write about. Essentially, we have a situation here how would you go about it? And she said, there's no correct answer. Um, but just give your, you know, give your thought process on it. Um, and everyone had different answers, right? It was one or the other. It was either deontological or utilitarian. And um, so the idea was that there's a fake city, okay? And this fake city is called Amalas. And in Amalas, there are, it's the perfect city, essentially. So there's literally hundreds of people who live amazing lifestyles so so we're talking like they have all the money they want they have all the happiness they want uh, or could ever ask for um they have happy families they have happy relationships um again all the wealth in the world whatever makes you happy essentially okay everything's perfect so now there's one issue here okay in this city there is a child who is locked up in a in a I don't want to say a cage, but it's like a little wooden, um, I guess a wooden cage. It's so like dark. a wooden little stall, okay. And it's it's completely dark in there. This child is basically it, it's stuck there, and it's in complete misery. It's in complete depression. It, it's it's um, living in its own filth. It's just it's the opposite essentially of all of the rest of the citizens of Amalas. Now, you have one of two options. You can either a choose to leave as a form of I guess like a protest to uh the the child just not being in this little cage or this little wooden box, let's put it that way. And the other option would be you just live your life and you're you're just like, "Hey, 
you know, it sucks to suck, but like the, there's this one child we're talking about versus the rest of the entire city, which is just doing amazing. So what do you do in this situation? Um, and I think if I remember correctly, if you were utilitarian, you would live in the city. And if you were deontological, it doesn't matter who's in the in the cage or what's going on. You have to stick by this rule of yeah. every single person has the right to live, uh, like a, at least a basic standard of living, right? right. And you were going to go to the ends of the earth um, to live by these standards like or never this break the rules. Uh, morality. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so you, as a form of protest, are going to leave. Uh, but that does not necessarily mean that anything is going to change in the city. It could stay the exact same, but you would you would take a stand against it and leave. Or you would just be like, hey, look, I got to, you know, sucks to suck. I'm sorry, but, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think of a situation where uh, organ transplants, right? Right. In the hospital, you have patients awaiting a certain organ, like a kidney or a liver or a heart. They need that organ to live. What comes to mind is, where do those organs come from? Well, they have to come from another healthy individual, right? I think when it, to, to visualize utilitarianism uh, more is to mm-hmm. take a situation where, let's say you have four uh, transplant individuals <clears throat> who are awaiting a certain organ. Right, so you have one person needed a heart, another one needed a lung, another one needed a liver, and another one needing a kidney. So these are essential organs of the human body. Well, yeah, if each one of these individuals need these specific types of organs, that pretty much indicates that one person has to die in order to To save save four individuals who need that transplant. Mm. When it comes to utilitarianism, you'll yeah, I keep saying that wrong. <laughs> utilitarianism. Utilitarianism. Uh, the single individual, the healthy one, would have to give up his own life to save the lives of the four. So I think of a Star Trek quote here where the needs of the many outweigh the need of the one. Right. So there's an idea there to more visualize, to help you visualize what that is all about. So it's it's very... Uh, iffy. It's very circumstantial because what comes to mind to me is like socialism and and uh, communism, things like that, where it gets yeah, really extreme, capitalism. right? Yeah. I think uh, this type of ethic it can work in most cases, but it can also be taken too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know when it comes to communism. It went too far in respect to they started killing healthy individuals or wealthy individuals and started distributing the wealth. But in the end, you know, they ended up starving a lot of their own people. And yeah, yeah. You, you know, th- this type of uh, mindset in respect to morality, it can get out of hand real quick, right? Yeah, I think that it doesn't take into consideration that. <clears throat> If a society is left to be free, then you're going to inevitably create inequality. Um, And if you want to create equality, um, meaning not equality of opportunity, but equality of outcome, then you need to uh, have a form of government control, which is you're abdicating authority to the government. Um, 
and they decide what's moral. They decide that you know financial resources need to be distributed equally because everyone deserves to have the exact same amount of things, um, financially at least. But you know the the downside of that is that if you're not going to live in a free system where you are going to have to literally suppress people who would otherwise excel in a free system, and you're going to have to uplift people who would not be so successful. I think that's, um, that's the idea yeah. behind uh, Cortez's uh, platform. She wants to pretty much suppress billionaires in order to help right. uh, a lot of poverty people or people in poverty. So right, right. there's this morality being applied here where you need to sacrifice a few individuals to save a bunch more individuals. And yeah. this, it's, it's very... Uh, subjective and it's a very heated argument to have because you know you're talking about sacrificing some individuals right that's definitely not okay right as far as i'm yeah it's it's kind of a inhuman thing to do even when it comes to wealth and i think nowadays the political platform on the left they very much agree with this type of ethic uh you mean wait on the left I think on the left, yeah. So I would, I think, I mean, if I don't have them incorrect, I think they would be more deontological, wouldn't they? Because if they have to follow a certain virtue, and the reason I'm saying that is because I think it has to do with um, uh, the example, the essay that I wrote in high school, in, not in high school, in college, where deontological, if, if you are deontological, you have to stick by your virtues and by your, your ethics, no matter what the situation is. Right, but utilitarian—the base of that word—word word, it's kind of like, um, uh, it's how do I explain it? It's uh, well, by definition, it says the doctrine that actions are right if they are useful for the benefit oh of the majority. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. What I was yeah, interesting. Okay, okay, maybe you're right. Yeah, so wow, that's interesting to okay. think about. Because I feel like there's a big shift in respect to the left adopting this kind of morality set. So yeah. they're very much let's let's name a few things about the left, and I hate to you know trash on them, but we can both agree that they're very emotional. A lot of feelings yeah. dictate their actions. Definitely, they love to be morally correct. They love, they love to have justice on their side, and they love to be uh, crusaders essentially. Uh huh. And when it comes to, uh, what's the word? Outcomes, right? Um, okay. They're, they're very much in terms of equality, right? So they don't believe in opportunity of outcome. They believe, is that, am I saying that right? They, they believe in uh, equality. Equality of opportunity or and equality of outcome. Okay. So they believe in equality of uh, outcome, right? Yes, yes. Not opportunity. Yeah, for for if we're talking about the left end, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Oh, we've made a breakthrough, people. <laughs> this is the root of their cause. <laughs> yeah. So actually, you know what? So if you okay, I think I don't want to jump to the conclusion that utilitarianism and deontology apply to the left and right right away because if you think about it, let's say let's take utilitarianism for example. If um 
if if it is basically going to side with the majority, I think it depends on where the majority is, correct? So let's say the majority of society is doing um, decently well. As of today's state, 100%, like utilitarianism is on the left, right? Because they want to benefit the majority of the population in the sense that uh, they want to take away from the, the few wealthy and give back to, um, I guess, the, the people at the bottom of the hierarchy. Right. But I, I don't know how solid solidly we can apply that to the left or the right. Does that make sense? I think what you're trying like, to like, say is there's a small yeah. percentage of minorities, right? But compared to the whole uh, population of America... I think there's like more white people in America, so they would yeah, be considered the yeah. majority, right? Right, right. See, so okay. th- but then utilitarianism would be falling onto the right if that was the case. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's a little. Iffy. I think it's context dependent. It is very context dependent. It really is. It's it it depends on what perspective you're taking it from and what viewpoint. Yeah. So, in terms of the left, yeah. I think they see themselves as the majority. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they definitely say, "Well, we our needs need to be met." Before anyone else's. Yeah, yeah. Bit selfish, but they're going with that. They're rolling with it. We'll see what happens. 100%. 100%. I wanted to take it back really quickly to that example uh, of Amalas. I wanted to get your opinion on that. What do you think about that? Like, if you were in that situation, what would you do? And what would be your your reasoning for it? I would fall into the realm of uh, deontology. So I would not break my own principle on saying uh i would not break the rule on everyone deserves not to suffer so it's obvious that one individual is suffering yeah that is not okay so i very much so you would leave the rules i would leave interesting interesting wow okay i don't remember what i wrote in the past um i'm pretty sure i'm 99 percent sure i took the exact same position as you did oh me okay yeah, yeah, I'm 99% sure I in the past that's a, the, in the essay that I wrote, I'm pretty sure I was also on that side of deontology. But that being said, I think nowadays if you asked me, um quite honestly, I think I might even stay. And it I mean okay. it depends on the rest of the context, right? Like uh, what is happiness to me? Like It is very context it, dependent. It, yeah, there needs to be details right. that may be uncovered. So if I was happy in my own personal reality, like everything was going great, I had found meaning in my life, I was, um, I don't know if everything was is happening great. Oh, oh, I left one part of the story out. You have to, as a citizen of Amalas, I was remembering visit that detail. this child. You have, to, yeah. you have to see the child every day, don't you? Yes. That would get yes. to me. Yeah, I would leave. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it might get to me too, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I want to say, I, say I would stay, yep. but I, I feel like, I don't know, man. If I see that every single day, it might eventually get to me, too. Yeah, it's, it's not human, to be honest, to see, a, uh, yeah. let alone a person to suffer, a child suffering. It's not uh, something okay with our evolutionary uh, genes, I suppose. Because it's like, you know, right. as a man... It's natural to be a provider, right? It's natural to be like a protector. Right, right. So, you know, when you see a helpless individual who's very vulnerable suffer in any yeah. way, it's like, all right, this isn't working. I don't like this. 
Yeah, I think so. So I think it depends on the person too, right? Like if you had someone like the Joker from Batman, right? He right. wouldn't care at all. <laughs> He'd just be like, "Hell yeah, let's have some fun with you, kid." You yeah. know. <laughs> actually, let's and, let's actually expand on that because the yeah. the whole Joker and Batman uh, series, the whole uh, story behind that is so complex. It's got morality right. all over it because you know when it comes to Batman oh, yeah. and Joker, Batman always refuses to kill this evil, evil guy. Yeah, and it's interesting to know because it's like, oh, is Batman moral, or is he just, um, or he just can't kill anymore because he's so traumatized? So there's there's that to talk about. Um, Damn. See, no, you're right because, but but what? So I would think about it like this, right? He's his he is steadfastly sticking to his rule of I'm not going to kill anyone, right? And True. and he's doing this because. He just, that's his role, right? Like he's deontological. But if he saves the Joker, he's risking the lives of other people by doing yep. so. Mm-hmm. You see, and that's that's I guess the um, the the dilemma there, right? Yeah. Um, because here's the thing: I also have another situation in which this is. I don't want to say it's exactly similar, but it's something related to this, right? Sure. Where. You have a building full of sixty people, okay. And I've asked this uh, like this question to a couple other people, a couple other uh, other of my friends. And so there, you have a an entire building full of sixty people, and you're in this building. You are not one of the sixty people, okay. So there's sixty one, including you. And there's a voice that goes off in your head, okay. And um, the voice is an actual voice. It's not like you're you're mentally insane or something like that. There's an actual voice, like I don't know, for some some reason, like God is speaking to you or something like that. Okay, and his voice is telling you, you have to kill thirty of the people in this building, otherwise we, as in the the people that's that are talking to you in the head, are going to kill all sixty of the people. What do you do in that situation? But you, it's either you kill 30 people or 60 people will die. Mm. What would you do? Kind and and, and by the way, <laughs> that includes children, women, men, old people, young people. And you can choose to kill them in any way. You could literally, you could like make it like a quick sufferless, suffer, I guess, sufferless. Is that how would you say it? Painless. <laughs> painless, painless, <laughs> sufferless, painless <laughs> death. <laughs> And so, what would you do in that situation? That's really dark, man. It's a really dark situation. I mean, based on rational thought, it would be to choose 30, right? Because you don't want everyone to die. That's so, what I would do, too. Yeah. But, but who, it's who tough really to choose, do that. Who would be the person that would choose for all of them to die? That's interesting. I, I've actually asked a couple of my friends this, and one of them did say that they would let 60 people die. because Just because they don't want to kill anyone? He he couldn't handle the thought of yeah exactly he couldn't handle the thought of like killing an innocent child or something and I said in it's my selfish... opinion you have it yes exactly exactly yeah. that's what I said like you have a duty to kill thirty people because you are it's don't think about it like you're killing thirty think about it like you're saving, you're saving 30. thirty people yeah yeah that would be my mindset as well because it's like you know I can't put my own uh, feelings into this it's like okay. There needs to be something done about this. I have two choices. What am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to know. It's so dark. Jeez. Always killing people. <laughs> Always <laughs> <No>. suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think uh, 
the reason why Batman, I'm going back to Batman because he's a cool guy. Yeah, that, cool that guy. story <laughs> connects to a lot of people because it's so complex and it's so you know um, relatable in respect to like human emotion and human uh, morality. Yeah, and it's always a uh, interesting clash between these two individuals, the Joker and the Batman, because you know one represents evil and one represents order, and it's it's a classic showdown between good and evil. But mm-hmm. uh, I used to go. <laughs> go into a lot of uh details about the story and the lore and i ended up finding that um the the batman batman himself bruce wayne he actually Mm -hmm. needs the joker in respect to his own sanity and i think this was like revealed in a certain comic where uh you know it's it's a classic uh comic where it's the joker versus the batman and the joker kidnaps like um uh gordon the the police chief and then he almost kills his daughter and you know batman comes in saves the day and he has he has another yet another opportunity to kill the joker but he doesn't and you know it's it's the classic ending where it's like oh he doesn't kill the joker because he's so uh you know fixed to his principles like he's such a a dutiful guy the batman yeah but um the this certain comic i forget which one it ended kind of differently it ended with the the joker telling a joke just in general. Oh, I remember this. There, yeah. there was a movie made on this. Oh, there was there? Okay, I read the comic. I think so. Um, I think so. It was at so a circus, was it not? It was at a circus, yeah. So yeah. it comes at the end. This, this is like near the toward the end, so spoilers. Um, yeah. He doesn't kill him in the end. Mm-hmm. So Batman doesn't kill the Joker. But the Joker tells a joke. It's like a really cheesy joke, too. And yeah. um, when he tells the joke, Batman himself, he ends up laughing. He laughs at the joke. Yeah, and I think it ends right there. Like it, it ends the the movie right there. I don't know if it, um, that's the end scene, but that's the end scene for the comic, and that pretty much indicates. There's, there's a lot of speculation on what it means, but there's a big yeah. uh, consensus that Batman is pretty much uh, in sync with the Joker's uh, insanity, because the joke wow. itself it was like really cheesy. It was like really dumb, but uh, when he made the joke, the Joker. It was like a cheesy joke, like a knock-knock joke or something like that. Um, yeah. Batman and, and, ends up but, laughing. So it's like, whoa. So a so, so normal person wouldn't laugh at that? No. A normal person uh, wouldn't laugh at that. Because it's like, it's such a dumb joke. It's like, why would you laugh at that? But yeah. Batman ends up laughing at it. Because yeah. he's, so, he's so connected to this individual that, you know, he understood uh, the stupid joke. And they were both on the same level for like a second. And yeah. I think that little level of connection uh, Bruce Wayne felt and it caused him to laugh. So it was like, oh, these two individuals need each other. And that's why the Batman will truly never kill the Joker or something like that. I don't know. It, it's very so philosophical and you know, there's a lot of debates online. But I pretty much stopped uh, looking into it for a while now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah no, pretty- that's a good yeah that's a good example for sure Mm -hmm. it's interesting because when i think about this i like to take a tangent into uh really dark individuals right so you have in today's world uh mass murderers people commit those massacres in respect to the new zealand shooting uh you have uh you know serial killers zodiac killer uh ted bundy who else 
or like these massive uh, dark individuals. Um, yeah. Yeah, just immoral people in general, right? So we both know, I think everyone knows, that it is possible for an individual to lose his morality, right? What does that mean? Well, I think that means it's possible for an individual to recognize that there is a morality, but he decides not to follow it. So he decides not to go by any of these ethics, right? So he's not going to follow any rules, and he's not going to meet the needs of the many. So he decides okay. to trash that all out, and he pretty much disregards morality in general. So hmm. I'm just looking at the individual uh, in respect to like a serial killer. So, um, you know, you have these individuals yeah. who quick, they commit uh, horrible acts of, of just horrific uh, scenes, right? So they either have like shootings in schools and churches and temples. You have uh, shootings in, um, I think there was like one in a YouTube center. Uh, I think a, a, a woman wow. did that. But uh, too many to remember, right? And we're we're going we're growing so numb to these shootings. <laughs> I think I am, to yeah. be honest. So <laughs> they happen like every other like month. It's crazy. Yeah. So which is a sad commentary on life. It is a sad commentary, to be honest. But I think it's a good. This is a good uh, chat to have in respect to morality, right? So there's yeah. obvious. It's obvious that these individuals lose a sense of morality. Why do you think that why do you think that is? Um I think that either they didn't have the moral the set the, the code with them from the beginning um uh, or they, they 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 just don't really care about morality from the very beginning or they have such a high um priority towards their main cause that it trumps the you know the morality of you know killing um meaning it's it's killing is lower on the priority list as compared to making sure that the world either knows about their uh cause or following through with the cause um think about for example suicide terrorists right where they have you know they, they strap a bomb to their chest and for for their um they have a sense you know, of meaning for, so they they die for that yeah cause. yeah exactly for their cause they are they are prioritizing their cause above their own death or and the death of many other people right so um i think really it, it's interesting because i think there's just so many different forms of morality right like you have all, like all these you have like moral subjectivism you have cultural relativism ethical egoism divine command theory there's so many like literally theories and you know if we go back to the definition of morality it's like morality is a system through which we determine um right and right right and wrong conduct so the guide to uh what is good or right conduct okay but each each um sort of each moral theory is it says something different about what is right and what is wrong, right? Then you get the mix of ethics in there, but ethics is the philosophical study of morality. So, I mean, it depends, right? Like you have, um, if you're talking about utilitarianism, you have, okay, there's another one right here, Kantian theory, there's rights-based theories, there's contract, contractarianism, 
All right. There's ten of the, 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 at least the ones that I have up right now are there's ten of them. Okay. Um, different theories of morality. I forgot what was the main question you asked. Uh, main question was in respect to these dark individuals. Do you think that they lose a sense of morality, or do they have a, yes. a totally different sense of, ra- of morality altogether? I think that's what it is. I think they have a completely different sense of morality. Okay. I With think that- their morality, and also, also here's the thing: morality is also skewed by facts, right? Because people don't understand that some facts may not be correct, and some facts may be correct, right? Uh, you have the basic idea of facts over feelings, right? To to think in a rational and logical way. But how do you know one fact is correct while another one isn't? Because if you believe in a certain thing, you can fall under something called confirmation bias and find evidence to prove your um, your way of thinking, right? So, so let's say one guy has a moral system, like his code is basically um, to, I guess, he, he's, a, he's a hardcore Christian, right? Versus another guy who's a hardcore Muslim. Um, And so they have different, you know, moral codes, let's put it that way. But they're they're probably going to have some of the same moral codes as well, right? Um, For example, uh, I don't know, let's say, let's just say they they have the same part of their moral code is different, but part of it is the same. okay? Okay, even if it's the same in a certain area, something where the media comes in and they distort facts and they put in their own narrative or you know they don't necessarily fact check themselves they can easily fall into a category where they think that their moralities actually don't align when they actually do does that make sense i know i'm having a hard time explaining myself here but it's a it's a it's a different thought process but you know, I think that there is a little bit of pointless fighting out there because here's the thing, right? When you're so far brainwashed into your, um, let's say, culture or religion, you will do so many things that you didn't think you could do as a human being, you know? And and it's all in the name of your cause, your um, moral codes, let's put it that way. I think um, you can boil it down to two sections of morality, to be honest, and I found this in my research. So okay. there's something called absolute morality, and there's something called okay. cultural morality. So absolute morality is a global sense of morality that everyone agrees to, right? So everyone can pretty much agree to, well, genocide is wrong, right? So that's a okay. moral fact. When it comes to cultural morality, this could be um, applied to, let's say, punishment in respect to different areas of the world right so we have uh some constraints on the death penalty in respect to america justice where the death penalty is commonly practiced in places like israel or the middle east that's their form of justice right right so that's a sense of cultural uh morality so it's it's different in respect to what you were saying based on your upbringing and it could be uh, related to a sense of brainwashing in respect to the culture that I grew up in. And it's safe to say that everyone has their own sense of cultural uh, morality. Right. So just to bounce off of your idea, uh, people in respect to justice, 
you know, different governments and different continents, different uh, areas of the world have their own form of justice, right? And I think even right. uh, different states have their own form of justice. Like Texas is very uh, in agree with uh, they're very with their they agree with the of the use of uh, guns, the death, the death penalty. Oh, death penalty. Okay. Well, in California, it's like it's put off like often, like we hardly practice it at all. Um, yeah. So there's a comparison there. Let's see. Um, I think I think see that that's a key thing that you said because this is why we have separation of powers between the federal government and state government, and people can choose to live in the state that really best resembles their own, I guess, identity, right? And and not everyone does this, right? Because everyone wants to live in sunny California, for example, right? But yeah, why is um, that? <laughs> and they maybe yeah, I guess it's just weather, other reasons, job opportunities, and everything like that, but. Okay. When it comes down to their moral code or their thought process, for example, for like let's take us for example, we are pretty much anti-left, and we live in the one of the most leftist areas in the world, right, or close to it at least, L.A. That's not our fault. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but now um, I forgot what the main point was, but I think that that's a good point that you brought up. This is why we have to have separation of powers. But you're right, yeah, moral morality. They have different morals, right? Like different states will have different align themselves, at least from in the majority with uh, different sets of moral codes. And you can see this in the laws, the different state laws that they pass, and yeah, the different people they elect and different parties and things like that. There's there's a ton of different laws in respect to each state. So, you know, I think in California, there's a lot of laws in respect to um, you know the highway and and uh, driving in general. Where in a place like um, Oh, I don't know, Alaska, where the driving laws aren't so as strict. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to know that there is even a division in morality in respect to American states. So American states are very divided. So they're divided in respect to political views. They're divided in respect to morality views. They're divided in respect to economic views. And they're, divi- yeah. they're divided in, res- in respect to even race. And Yeah, and legal views. And legal views too. Yeah, that is crazy. I think in in Texas you can buy any gun at eighteen. Is that what it is? I'm I, not too sure. Actually, I forget. Yeah, because in California you can't buy a handgun at eighteen. You have to be twenty one. Um, oh, I see. What else? Yeah, so divided. It's it's United States of America, right? It's not really united. <laughs> Should be divided states of America. <laughs> divided states of America. <laughs> <laughs> That would not be a good rep the for DSA. the world. <laughs> I know, right? DSA. We're so DSA. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there is obviously a federal government that tries to keep everyone unified under the same constitution. And, right. you know, things are going good, good so far. I mean, things aren't too radical yet. Yeah. Who knows? I feel like it's getting there. It's getting there? You think there's going to be the Civil War? I mean, maybe not a civil war, but I definitely think so. I definitely think that uh, it is getting divided, and it it has more potential to be divided. But you know what? Here's the thing. I don't think we're truly, truly divided down to the core. And I think the reason is because that I don't think the majority of people actually know what they're talking about um, when it comes to politics. 
Um, and what I mean by that is they follow what one side does or the other. They don't really research it. They don't really do thorough analysis. And when they actually do the analysis, I'm sure people will find common ground. You know, I'm pretty sure people will stop demonizing, you know, uh, one side or the other. But uh, the main people I think that are demonizing are the people on the radical ends of the spectrum, right? Like we talk about the radical left or like the radical right, Mm -hmm. um, right wing. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it's a good question. It's kind of a sad question, to be honest, with a sad answer. Because, <laughs> you know, when it comes to America, it's supposed to be the greatest nation in the world, right? Yeah. And with a nation so divided and so uh, locked in this chaotic political system, it's it's yeah. sad to think that even our own nation, the country we grew up in, is so polarized, right? So there's there's people who are so extreme in respect to the left, in respect to the right. It's uh yeah. It's kind of depressing when I first got when I first figured out um about politics. It's like, whoa, people aren't so happy and nice about the country itself. <laughs> yeah. Everyone wants I control. I think people can generally gather in one area when they have uh similar codes of conduct and ways of operating but there's always going to be people who are going to uh challenge the status quo who are going to think differently who are going to change the system i guess and just think differently right and you're going to get clashes in any system because people just inevitably will not think that in the same way Right. I think in respect to uh, people being unified, religion is a type of uh, institution that really gets people together. So yeah. worldwide, you have religions like um, you know Christianity, Hinduism, uh, what's, what's Islam? Muslim? Islam, Ju- Islam and Judaism. Judaism. Okay, yeah. So a ton of unification worldwide. And yeah. in respect to these religions... They each have their own set of morality codes and their own set of rules. Yeah. So I think, what was I going to say? They're more unified and they have their own set of morality rules. Uh, I could argue that religions themselves are more moral, more moral, than uh, (laughs) people who are not religious. Do you want to get into that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let's do that. Let's do that, actually. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, I think in respect to my view, religion offers a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, and a sense of humility, vulnerability. I think every religion has that sense of uh, that that sense of convincing people that they are not who they think they are. So, you know, when it comes to Christianity, it's oh, it's oh, you're a sinner, you're a natural sinner, and you know, you need to. Uh, you know, live up to to God's standards, and you need to follow His moral moral codes of ethics. And I think the same goes for like Judaism and uh, Muslim. And Muslim Muslims a very different religion. I don't know much about it, but that's a religion that uh, has a lot against women itself themselves, right? Like they don't have a lot of yeah. women uh, freedom or like women rights. 
Yeah, think. yeah, they they suppress women's rights a lot. At least, I mean, in the Middle East, at least. In the Middle uh, East, or, okay. Yeah, some some in some countries that you'll see, like I think it's it was called Sharia law, where you know you have a lot of suppression essentially, and. Uh, I mean, I guess we can we can get into that in, de- in another episode for sure because we I could. think that's important to talk about. Yeah, people people often talk a lot about Islamophobia, but um, I think it's an interesting subject to get into for sure. Back to the atheists. So yeah. every atheist I've met, to be honest, they don't seem like the kind of person who would be moral. And I don't mean to really? shit. I don't mean to shit on atheists, but it's just through my experience alone. When it comes uh-huh. to uh, most atheists that I've met, they identify themselves as atheist just because they want to be different from the norm. So just because they say, oh, uh, religion is stupid and they're kind of like rebelling. So they, okay. they kind of identify as atheists. But I'm pretty sure there are reasonable and uh, very moral atheists out there, to be honest. I just haven't met any. Okay, um, okay. But what about your viewpoint? What do you think? Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. So in my opinion, I think that you have to look at it on um, an overall level, right? Like if you had, if you had, let's say, a graph and you plotted every religious person and every atheist um, or non-religious person, I think if you look at the majority, I think you're correct in the sense that um, religious people tend to be more moral on average, um, and atheists tend to be less moral on average because they're, I guess, if you really want to put it this way, I think they connect more to human nature, the base human nature, right? When we talk about evolution, where, um, you know, religion, I think, is meant to put a sort of cap or a um, a sort of a, uh, to to tame human nature, the evil and the dark side of human nature, where all you're thinking about is survival and power and, um, I don't know, like reproduction and like all these things. And you have to commit sins, so to speak, right, to, uh, to I guess, get those things or That's to have point. those things. Yeah, your sense of morality um, goes down when you get into survival mode, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, atheists, I think, tend to... Um, be more connected to the baser nature uh, the the base nature of uh humanity. a human nature human nature yeah yeah of humanity exactly and uh because they don't have necessarily a code to stop them now i'm not saying this is true for all atheists i definitely think that there are a lot of atheists out there who may have their own moral set of codes where they just as humans are, you know, they're probably emotional and they would not commit any acts of, you know, sin against another human being or uh, not just sin, but like they would not do an evil act against another person because they just they're good hearted human beings deep down, at least more so than you would think now. So but I think, OK, so here's where my opinion lies. I think if you look at it on average, yes, I think you're right. The religious people tend to be more morally conscious because they are also God-fearing, right? Right. Because if you deny that there is a God, someone watching you, then you're free to do whatever you want. But with religious people, it's like, hey, if you don't follow these rules, then God is watching and he will punish you by sending you to hell if God you don't follow, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, people, it, it will... 
inevitably lead to, I guess, better behavior on the part of human beings. Um, it will control their need to, I guess, dominate if they're, you know, power hungry, let's put it that way. Um, but yes, I, I, I'm sure there are religious people out there that are very evil and there are moral people or atheist people out there that are very morally, you know, conscious and they're very good people. But on the average, I think you're correct. Religious people do tend to, um, err more on the side of morality and being good because they're God-fearing for the most part. And I think or they just they grew up with a code. Right, and I think that's true mostly because religion gives a sense of order, right? So in respect to yeah. um, developing as a kid, you need a sense of uh, a sense of structure, right? And a sense of responsibility. Yeah. And I think most religions offer that type of uh, lifestyle, which helps them develop with that discipline. I know it did to me, to be honest, because my parents are very religious. But I don't know about your parents. Are they very religious? No, actually, they're not really. Quite the opposite. Uh, comparatively comparatively speaking, when we um, talk about... Uh, I was raised Hindu, right? Um, but if you compare our family, my family, to any other Hindu family or any other Indian family, um, whether they're from India or from here in the States... We're typically a lot less um, uh, traditional. Yeah, traditional. We're a lot less traditional and a lot less religious, so to speak. I grew up, you know, going to the temple and praying, but not so often that it became a habit, right? It was more. Um, it was more of just a belief in God rather than a moral set of codes. Um, when I was growing up, just by my own human nature, I was. Like, I was just a good person, you know? Like, I, I was kind of like a baby, let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I didn't want to believe that people can be so cruel or evil because I wasn't that way. So I thought, if I'm not that way, then the majority of people won't be that way. But that was a false way of thinking about things. Then I got a hit. Then a, you get a certain hit, in, a hit of reality after a while. And you start to realize that not everyone is as morally uprighteous as they would claim um there's a lot of things that go on underneath the surface of people that uh you can sort of read based on their subcommunications, but you don't want to believe okay but, you know that's just like what it is people. um yeah yeah I'd, I'd say so like the, those like super super power hungry people that will do anything um to put their own interests above you know everyone else yeah the people and i don't think being self-interested is bad but okay that that's i think they take it a little far to the point of like you know like it's at the detriment of other people around them okay yeah for sure there is definitely those kind of individuals who uh excuse me uh who pretty much uphold the moral flag all the time they're a little too moral you know what i mean yeah, yeah, and those are people you want to watch out for because yeah, I feel like those are the mo- they the, those are the people. And it's funny because uh, author Robert Greene said this in his uh, book, The Forty Eight Laws of Power. In in the preface of the book, it says you want to watch out for these people because they're often the most adept players at power, and they don't even realize it. They're uh, half of them are playing it subconsciously, you know. Um, because again, remember, it's it's also part of human nature. So maybe they don't realize they're doing it. Maybe they do. Who knows? I think a good example would be uh, OJ's lawyer. I forget his name, but I don't think you know him. Um, 
Okay. Back in the day when O.J. Simpson, the famous football player, when he was in, uh, indicted for the murder of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, O.J. ended up being innocent, right? He ended up winning that trial. The main reason why he ended up winning that trial was because he had a very moral uh, lawyer. So this guy was a, a black lawyer who was very, very preachy. And he was such a, a a man of morals and such a high prestigious individual who, you know, spoke truth everywhere he went. And he preached, you know, uh, black struggles to every single person. And he was just a black representative for communities in L.A., black communities in L.A. Um, so there's an example for you of a, of a person who is maybe just a little too moral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... Uh, um. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Nothing to add to that. It was just that thought of someone being that moral ended up uh, helping OJ through the trial, and he pretty much helped a, a criminal. He, he helped a murderer because it's obvious yeah. that OJ killed uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and, and the other dude. I forget his name. Um, right, right. But terrible, terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sad it's stuff. yeah yeah definitely definitely so um i do have a couple of moral theories here that i think would be worthwhile to look into did you go over your notes by the way do you want to go over anything else that's pretty much all my notes to be honest those different branches of morality and ethics and the uh, absolute morality and cultural morality okay definitely definitely so you know, there's another important distinction to be made here, right? Are moral theories descriptive or prescriptive? Meaning, in presenting a moral theory, are we merely describing how people in their everyday doings and thinkings form a judgment about what is right or right and wrong? Or are we prescribing how people ought to make these judgments? That's hmm. the question. Hmm. Essentially, are we are we going with you know morality as a way of looking at human nature in the sense that this is what humans naturally do and this is how humans naturally think and form a judgment of what is right and wrong and i guess some of this could be taking back to evolutionary psychology because you know our environment has changed and back in the days of you know back in tribal days you would not want to um be too too kind or anything like that uh because if you were you would probably end up with no resources and you'd probably die so their more their moral code was different back like 15 16,000 years ago and and prior to that because the environment has changed and as the environment changes and, and you have to adapt to the environment you have to change what what is morally righteous and morally wrong right mm -hmm. um so are we merely describing how people in their everyday doings and thinkings form a judgment about what is right or wrong or are we prescribing how people ought to make these judgments and if we do describe who is how human beings ought to make their judgment who is making those decisions about how we ought to make those judgments and why what what is the rationality behind it who decides you see what i'm saying yeah that's yes. the real question who decides what is moral right it's yeah interesting to think about because the person who decides ultimately has all the power <laughs> yeah <And laughs> seriously 
because it, it's true in the Catholic Church, right? So we have a hierarchy in the Catholic Church, and the Pope is the man on the top. So he yeah. he pretty much decides. Well, what's moral? What 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 do we do? I mean, you're you're God's yeah. secondhand man. <laughs> so if anybody knows what's moral, <laughs> it's got to be you. And I think it, the the same idea applies to politics, right? So when it comes to government, the left is really pushing for the government deciding what is moral. Yeah, yeah. Would you... I forgot the question exactly that I was going to ask. Um, I forgot the question I was going to ask. If I remember, I'll ask you later. So morality... Um, let's backtrack a little. Yeah. When it comes to individuals with, with power, they have so much power that they can pretty much change the rules of morality. I think it's safe to agree that, you know, back in history, the people with the most power, like Hitler, Stalin, uh, Napoleon, uh, Queen Elizabeth, yeah. Cortez, uh, all these, all these <laughs> figures. <laughs> I was thinking um, <laughs> during the Spanish expedition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, funny how her, her last name is Cortez. Connection. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it's all connected. Um, yeah, yeah. These, these individuals have the power to change what is right, what is wrong. So it, it's a scary thing to think about because a person who has that kind of power and that kind of uh, ability, they can pretty much say, well, I pretty much make the rules and this is how it's going to be right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, some do it for the best, some do it for the worst. And... Yeah, see, that's what I was going to actually ask, is that do you think the when you make a moral set of codes, do you think that it you, it is important for the people following this code to really understand what they're getting out of it? You know, what are you really long-term getting out of following this moral set of codes? Because you this this is a massive decision that you have to stick with right for the rest of your life you are going to follow this set of codes and if it's if you're going to follow it strictly what are you going to get out of it you know are you going to get a peaceful life are you going to get um uh as a basis for reciprocity are you going to um you know it's like treat your neighbor as you would treat as i would treat them whatever thyself golden rule right? like you treat yeah. your neighbor like you would treat yourself essentially now what what are you getting out of that are you getting reciprocal bias where you guys treat each other very nice and you can go about your day and be things will be really peaceful and productive um or or what are you getting out of it i think it's important to educate people when they take on a moral set of codes why they're taking on this set of codes what is the benefit from it because human nature is to be selfish right and i think it's important to you know understand that as humans are selfish we need because of that reason we need to educate them on what the benefits of of it are going to be does that make sense i think it does I think most people don't reach that point, to be honest, when it comes to rationalizing the moral choices themselves or the moral rules. Most people yeah. are influential or are, are easily influenced. I think we can both agree on that. So it's evident yeah. to see that social media nowadays, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, 
uh, Facebook, people are constantly plugged in and they are constantly uh, told what is moral and what is not moral. They're fed a bunch of this feed that Mm -hmm. bombards them with strange ideas, right? So, uh, yeah, it makes them question things about sexuality. It makes them question things about abortion and makes them question things about uh, economics and and uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think social media nowadays really has changed a lot of young people's minds because people tend to not think in respect to these types of issues. They don't usually ta- yeah. they don't usually reach that point. Is what I'm trying to say. They don't usually reach that point of rationality of saying, okay, is this moral? Is this a set of moral codes? something I want to follow? Should I follow them? What am I going to get out of them in the future? Yeah. It's a, it's a process where they don't think about them future selves. They just think about their present selves. And, uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> so that's, I think that was my point to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Social media. having I have a, a thought on impact. this. Go for it. So, this is just speculation and I'm just thinking, okay? Mm-hmm. So imagine, let's say um, you get a certain benefit out of following this moral set of codes, okay? That religion instills in you, okay? Okay, religion. If okay. you follow these these codes, th- this, this set of rules, and you apply it, you will be successful, you will go to heaven, you are going to whatever, right? All those great things. And let's say you have someone who is not religious at the same time who is dedicated to making his or her life fantastic, um, full of happiness, full of joy, full of, you know, um, no drama, full of meaning, proper meaning that will propel them to want to get up every day out of bed um, and things like that, okay? Now... If this person who is not religious and wants to create these great things for themselves in their life, are they going to find a way to make it happen without religion? And if so, would they benefit more if they did follow a religious set of codes or a religious, uh, you know, or like a moral set of codes given by religion? And on top of this, if I really think about this, let's say, Mm-hmm. let's say you have i remember watching in family guy one time where you remember you know chris the guy who the boy of the family yeah the yellow-haired kid um and this is this was hilarious actually because i think the family is christian and uh he's he's a teenager and you know how teenagers are they're like discovering their sexuality and whatever and so he's like he's like consistently in the restroom doing you know what you know he's like masturbating all the time sure why not and so um, I think it was Peter who said, look, you don't, or, or his mom, I don't know what it was, but, um, who said, look, God is watching over you. Like you shouldn't do that so much. Right. Or you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, but this also has side benefits, right? Like there's a whole movement out there. I don't know if you've heard of this movement called NoFap, where it's, it's like an online, like, oh, okay. it's like a whole consortium of men where, you know, they, they're dedicated to stop, they're stopping, um, uh, stop watching porn, essentially. Right. And stop masturbating so excessively, right? Because it leads to a lot of negative health consequences, like, you know, your dopamine receptors, 
um, become, you know, like they become less active and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and 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 that sort of thing, and your pheromones start to change and everything. So now, do you think that if the kid was religious, he would he'd be more likely to follow that rule, or is it? If he found the rationality behind the NoFab movement and all the benefits that come with it, all the scientific theory about why it's not good to watch porn and this and that, hmm. um, because so which one would be more effective? Would it be so, following this question. moral code? Yeah, as you just try to or say, or would it be just rational thought and telling them up up front, like, dude, you need to not do this because A, B, and C. And what my thought process on this was is that do you think that it's easier? to influence people and control people through fear. Yeah, and what I, I mean by fear, fear, yeah. Because of God fearing, right? Like yeah. if if you fear what God is going to do to you, you are going to easily um follow the you're going to more easily follow the rules than if you looked at the logic of what the good things that will come with following the rules are. And if you looked at the good things following the rules, some people inevitably will not want to follow those rules because they don't give a shit about themselves and their future, right? They're more about, they're more hedonistic. They're more, I want to live for uh, small pleasures. I want to live for the, the, I don't know. Impulses? Kind the, of, yeah. the, yes, 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 exactly. I want to live for the impulses. Yeah. But, and I don't really care about the rationality behind doing all these good things uh-huh. for myself. Yeah. But if they were put under a religious code where God is watching you, and they're fearful of it, then they're then they're bound to follow it. You see what I'm saying? So which one is stronger? Is it exposing the person to the rationality behind the idea and the reasoning for the idea, or is it to make them fearful of God? Interesting. That requires a complex answer. <laughs> a very long answer, too. <laughs> so yeah. I think we could both agree that fear is a very good temporary motivator. So mm. when it comes to getting people to do what you want you invoke fear whether through religion through threat i mean it's evident through history that fear really got people to do things um, yeah in respect to today's situation and i'm going to keep in the constraints of the no fat movement so let's take an individual teenage boy let's yeah. say he's going at it and he's discovering his sexuality and he's hit puberty yeah is he going to have uh, a sense of strong discipline from religion or from the facts and the science? Right. A couple of things. Uh, he, it, it, I, I, yeah, go ahead. It depends on the individual. It depends on the teenager, so their upbringing. Um, yeah. So if their parents, for example, were rarely religious, very religious, and he was uh, raised a, you know, a religious teenager, I think he would go towards the fear more than the rational scientific viewpoint but when it comes right. to a uh, a different type of teenager he would definitely steer toward the rationality and the facts behind the the defects or the the uh the uh side effects of the um you know exploring and, and figuring out sexuality yeah 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 you were gonna say no no that that's um i didn't have anything to add to that yeah and that's not really a good answer to be honest because 
all I'm saying is it depends on the teenager. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> to come down to a consensus, um, in my opinion, I think you have to educate the teenage boy as much as possible. You have to tell him, listen, okay. So there's this idea of puberty, and it's haywired your your mind essentially, right? So you're you're yeah. developing into a man, and there's a bunch of hormones, and there's a bunch of changes going on in your body. And a lot yeah. of those changes can be good, but it just depends how you control it and how you manage it. Let's yeah. present you with a list of facts and let's present you with a bunch of rationality behind this. And you can choose not to do to accept this. You can just go with the impulse and do what you want. And you, I think what's a good uh, uh, situation to lead this kid in is to let them experience it for themselves so if they end up following impulses i think they're going to recognize well if i just follow impulses it's going to be a painful and a unrewarding uh development from the time you're a teenager to the time you're a young adult so Mm. i think they have to go through the pain and they have to go through the the suffering and let them make the ultimate decision on how they want to change and how they want to control their masculinity yeah that's my viewpoint. I think it's a very Jordan Peterson yeah. viewpoint. <laughs> uh, what a great guy. What, what do you think? Uh, I I think you're 100% correct. I think if there is a way to actually combine both, then I would ideally want to do both. Um, but okay. I think you're right. It depends on the person, right? I mean, if, you can, if you're going to raise your kid religiously, that's, that's one thing, right? Like, you shouldn't... Um, like you should stick to your religious code and your moral code and tell them like, Hey, look, you know, that's not right because uh, whatever reasons. Right. But at the same time, if you can also tell him, Hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that too excessively because there are negative side effects to that. And these are some of the things that you might lose out on in the future. Because, uh, if, if you go down that road and it becomes too excessive, then, it's you're not gonna um i don't know you're gonna lose these benefits essentially right i think what it comes to i don't mean to cut you off but uh no no, go for it it. when it comes to this specific issue this type of uh uh development of of a teenager so going through puberty it ultimately depends oh shoot i I forgot where i was going um it depends on how well he can manage his impulses and how well he could actually feel a sense of meaning, right? So Uh, not only is is it a sense of morality, but it's also a sense of, am I getting, uh, am I fulfilling my basic needs, right? So I think I I refer to basic needs as, you know, do you have meaningful relationships with individuals, right? Who who, uh, are not participating in this type of impulsive behavior? Do you have a a sense of uh, masculinity and a sense of uh, belonging in respect to the opposite sex. Do you have a, yeah. a sense of uh, of uh, power in respect to your own uh, impulses, essentially? So I think there's a lot more at stake in that type of situation. Because when it comes to a, a teenager, in my, in my respect, in my perspective, when it comes to a teenager excessively masturbating in that sense, mm-hmm. let's say he's like the worst case. 
there's obviously something yeah. missing in respect to a meaningful relationship, right? There's obviously something missing in respect to yeah. uh, him being socially accepted. So, yeah, it's it's a type of impulse that really drags you down, and it's a type of impulse that really, uh, it it really is a bad substitute for uh, deep connection. You know what I mean? Because when it comes to yeah. uh, being intimate with another individual, whether it be a man or a female, uh, whatever gets your your boat boat floating, um, yeah, it's it's imperative that you have some type of relationship and how you can actually have some type of intimacy, because I think that's a that's mm-hmm. a basic human need, right? So that sense of intimacy, yeah, and uh, I think people nowadays, to be honest. Uh, looking through through social media, there's a lack of intimacy and there's a lack of meaning. There's a lack of uh, deep relationships in respect to individuals, right? So, I mean, I just see yeah. that on firsthand because I'm an engineering major, and we're not <laughs> we're not known for our social uh, <laughs> our social skills and our and our uh, and our deep relationships. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've seen firsthand what what guys can um, what they can really be deprived of in respect to this type of situation um definitely yeah where was i getting at morality so it's a type of morality in respect to your own health it's a health morality essentially okay okay that's that's my perspective on it um right 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 right. is there anything else to add uh i guess nothing else to be honest to be what else okay Uh, um, I was going to say there's, uh, so there's a, du- a few different like theories on morality, right? Um, so I mentioned a couple of them earlier. Uh, moral subjectivism is one of them. And, and I was thinking about, let's, let's get into a couple of these and see, see what we can, what conclusions we can come to or what ideas we can, uh, form. You know, what's funny is every time I, think i know more and i look for more answers yeah it's the more i realize i don't know exactly so the more i know it's the more i the more i really don't know (laughs) philosophy bro it really gets to you yeah Yeah, seriously kind of scary huh yeah (laughs) so okay here's the thing so moral subjectivism right and wrong is determined by what you the subject just happens to think or feel is right or wrong. So in its common form, moral subjectivism amounts to the denial of moral principles of any significant kind and the possibility of moral criticism and argumentation. In essence, right and wrong lose their meaning because so long as someone thinks or feels that some action is right, there are no grounds for criticism. If you are a moral subject, subject, uh, subjectivist, um, you cannot object to anyone's behavior assuming people are, in fact, acting in accordance with what they think or feel. This shows the key flaw in moral subjectivism. Probably nearly everyone thinks that it is a legitimate, it is legitimate to object on moral grounds to at least some people's actions. That it is, that is, um, it is possible to disagree with about moral issues. Okay, let me get this straight. So there's a sense of morality in respect to every individual where you can never convince someone what they think should be right so 
uh, what I'm understanding is what you just said. Individuals yeah. who are doing the right thing because they ultimately believe that that is the right thing to do. Yes, and and it's not only it's it's not just believe, but it's because they think and feel it that way. Okay, it's essentially it's whatever. Um, so so morality is subjective. That's why it's called moral subjectivism, uh-huh. right? So so everyone has their own set of morals. So if I felt like killing someone today, and if I feel like it, then no one has the right to question me because right. I felt like it. You felt like kind it. of a thing, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so there's a major major flaw in this thinking. And you know what's funny? For some reason, when I was reading through this, and I came across the word feel, the first thing that came to my head was Ben Shapiro's famous saying: "Facts don't care about your feelings." Damn. Now, yeah, he said that. <laughs> and it, it almost reminds me of this, if you think about politically, leftist thinking. Because now not every single um, you know, leftist argues this way. But I'm thinking the radical left. Oh, I feel like there should be 72 genders. I feel like I was descended from foxes. I feel like I was descended from pixies, you know? So I'm, I'm pixiekin or I'm foxkin. Therefore, you are morally, you know, I'm morally righteous, you know. Does that make sense? I think that kind of mindset can be applied to any demographic, to be honest. It can also be applied to white supremacists. So, Oh, true, true. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like, I feel like my race is superior. I, yeah, I feel like <laughs> we have the all power and we should actually shoot up Muslim uh, synagogues. So right. there's those types of individuals too, no doubt. So I understand what you're trying yeah. to say. There's a sense of, and they, this really uh dives into the sense of meaning and the sense of uh you know true rightism or or true uh, what's the word i'm looking for but i lost the words tonight folks um <laughs> <laughs> like true meaning right so tr- true uh sense of right doing there's mm-hmm. i mean even you and i have that type of uh mindset right so when it comes to the rational male we believe that you know these types of arguments and these types of ideas in the rational male, they have to be right in most cases. Interesting, interesting. But okay, so oh, that that is interesting. so many so many people disagree that. with us on that type of uh, you know platform of, of ideas and when it comes to uh, games and stuff like that. Right, right. And we're not talking about what's right or wrong here. We're talking about what's morally, what what set of moral, you know, rules to apply. So I guess, yeah, you're right. Because if if I feel like, but, but, but see, here's the difference too. My feeling is not just based on feelings. It's based on factual evidence. It's based on case studies. It's based on evolutionary psychology. You know, if it's all such fact studies. though, then why do so many people disagree? I uh, that 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 is a good that is a good case that you make. I think, I mean, this is just what my opinion is. I don't think a lot of people even really study this stuff. They <laughs> they go with what they they're stupid. Feel. <laughs> you know, I genuinely genuinely yes, it, I think that yeah yeah. No worries. I mean, there is that type of uh, mindset when it comes to well, here are the facts. Here's the data. I mean, here is evolution. Why aren't you yeah. at least considering this type of idea? And, yeah. you know, I'm pretty sure you encounter that all the time. But all the time. it's a sense of morality that everyone has, their own sense of morality, right? So when it comes yeah. to, to uh, 
interdynamic relationships between females and males in respect to the rational male, it's uh, it's a set of ideas and it's it's a set of essays that give a rational approach to you know dating and and you know hypergamy and you know relationships between man and a woman and it's safe to say i'm kind of going off going off my point of view here uh that in the rational male that nothing in there seems kind of moral it's all like very straightforward wouldn't you agree it's all very like i would say so it's all like rational based it's all deductive reasoning it's all um non-biased and non uh well, it is kind of biased because the, the guy himself, a little biased. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's more biased towards the male side. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So I take that back. Um, but <laughs> uh, most of it's not – you don't get a sense of morality in it, do you? Like a, no. Like a, like a sense no. of ethics in it? Um, I, you know what? I, I think he does consider morality. You know what? Here's the thing. He does not consider morality, actually, because I remember in the third book at the end, he talked about the amorality of game. Amoral meaning, and this is the exact same thing that we talked about when it comes to the 48 laws of power. Um, the same thing, the author said that, you know, a, it's amoral, meaning it's lacking a moral sense. It is unconcerned with the rightness or wrongness of something. It just exists. It just right? is. This yeah. is just the way it is. Yeah, it just is. Whether you choose to identify with it morally or not, it exists. And this kind of reminds me of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast with objectivism, Ayn Rand's objectivism philosophy, where irrespective of what you, of morals and this moral code that human beings have assigned, this exists. It is objective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Very rational and a very reasonable type of law, essentially. Uh, You know, I, I hate to go there, but... um. I wouldn't so far as to call it, you know, a universal law. It's just a, a a type of thing that is amoral, like you were saying. And yeah, you know, when it comes to morality, it's it's evident that everyone has their own morality. And you know, I'll, I'll bring my own um, point of view into this. Part of the reason yeah. why I decided not to engage in this type of alpha male mindset. So, you know, practice game, yeah. you know, um, pretty much, uh, you know, manipulate women to a degree where you're uh, maximizing your male imperative. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things like that nature. Um, part of the reason why I didn't engage in that type of behavior uh, to the degree that you do, is because mm-hmm. my sense of morality said this isn't right. Interesting. Um, okay. Not to say that you know I, w- I was so locked in my beta views and I was plugged in, but my sense of morality right. goes towards you know this type of game, this type of alpha mindset could end up being toxic and it could end up being um, destructive to my own health and my own mental stability. So I say, Hmm. I'm not going to be engaged in this type of game, in this type of pyramid scheme, in this type of alpha manipulation. It's it's a sense of, okay, I I recognize that these things are close to being law, and they're very rational, and he goes through it, uh, Tomasi, he goes through these ideas Mm -hmm. in a deductive manner, but 
I can't engage in it fully. So I'm going to decide okay. to, you know, trail off from the pyramid and see if I can create my own way. And little did I know, he has a category for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Men going their own way, I guess, um, to put it bluntly. Yeah. But uh, what was my point? I forget. <laughs> um, my own viewpoint on, on this whole morality. Yeah, yeah. So my morality sense yeah. is uh, I, I had a sense of morality because I was like, you know, this isn't right for myself. And if I do end up being successful and being like the ultimate alpha male by the time I'm like 30 years old. Uh, right. You know, it. it's not what I was. Uh, oh, I could have developed to do it, but. It just doesn't feel right, <laughs> to be honest. A sense of feeling. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. pretty much. It, it's That sense of feeling is always going to be there in respect to everyone uh, talking about this type of rational male ideas. Hmm. You have your own feelings. I have my own feelings. All your guys in candid chit-chats have their own feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, uh, yeah, exactly. No, everyone everyone takes it differently. It's, it's like my dad would always say this, that, you know, you can sit a class down and teach them a subject, but they're all going to take it in a different way. They're not, well, not all of them, but a lot of them will take it in different ways, especially if it's more, if it involves more complexities such as morality, such as ethics, such as, you know, um, just the whole theory itself being complicated, right? Right. So, so yeah, no, no, I get that, definitely. It's interesting. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Sense of morality. So, moral. So, so we covered the first one, right? Moral subjectivism. That was the first one. The second one is cultural relativism, and I think this one will be interesting. Um, the right. So, right and wrong is determined by the particular set of principles or rules the relevant culture just happens to hold at the time. Yeah. Cultural relativism is closely linked to moral subjectivism. It implies that we cannot criticize the actions of those in cultures other than our own. And again, it amounts to the denial of universal moral principles. Also, it implies that a culture cannot be mistaken about what is right and wrong, which seems to not, which seems not to be true, and so it denies the possibility of moral advancement, which also seems not to be true. So, um... Okay. Wow. So, we can both agree that the sense of cultural morality, it's very uh, situational. So, it, everyone mm -hmm. believes in their own um, set of rules, I suppose, when it comes to different cultures, different governments, different, uh, different countries. What you were saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. is that you can never really change a culture's morality it just is what it is they believe they're doing the right thing no matter what is that safe to say yeah so it says right here it also implies that a culture cannot be mistaken about what is right and wrong which seems not to be true and so it denies the possibility of moral advancement so if the culture of the time um says now, now here's the thing, right? This is only one theory, one moral theory. So not everyone follows this, right? There are always people that are going to not go with the cultural, um, I guess, the cultural tide, the way that it's going. 
but let's say 500, 600 years ago, the right thing to do morally would have been one thing, the right way to, for example, um, you know, it was moral to have slaves. It was fine, right? It was moral to treat women as, you know, not equals or, you know, not even worthy of, I guess, a vote or something like that, right? Uh-huh. But as time evolved, there were people that are outside the cultural relativism, you know, mindset that have shifted the way the culture thinks. And so the cultural relativism shifts over time, right? In today's world, it's more of this radical leftist thinking, or at least the majority of it seems to be that way by the way the media portrays it, right? Um, Now, I think it's based on the time period you're talking about and even the region of the world that you're talking about. Um, So yeah, like the country and whatnot, and and really the culture, but... Yeah. Yeah, essentially you were right. Yeah, culture cannot be mistaken because um, it's pretty much right and that's it. I think it's a type of uh, thinking that can give people the wrong idea about morality itself. So I'm thinking about the political platform in respect to the left. You have different types of culture Mm -hmm. out there. There's outrage culture. There's rape culture, essentially. There's, um, what other cultures are there? There's a uh, uh, political correctness culture, something like that. Right, PC culture. PC yeah. culture. There's uh, all these different types of cultures. I can't name them all off. But they each believe that their sense of morality is the best. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With that being said, they have a sense of moral superiority that they believe in. So, yep. They try to push that moral <clears throat> set of standards to everybody that they encounter. So, you have individuals like uh from the Me Too movement constantly pointing out individuals who they believe are immoral right right they have, they have that sense of power of saying this individual's immoral bill cosby is immoral therefore he should be taken down in some cases they're correct right so they do mm-hmm. point out the individuals who are very immoral in other cases mm-hmm. and i think in most cases they're wrong they point out individuals like brent kavanaugh and they say you're an immoral individual you need to be taken down. We're going to tear you apart. But yeah. their morality is so strong that they disregard the facts and they disregard rational evidence. So going yeah. back to the example of Brett Kavanaugh, the Me Too movement were saying this Supreme Justice person, I, I forget the title, but this individual is a rapist he committed an act of sexual assault and sexual harassment back in the day of the 1990s now they don't Definitely. St- they don't stop to think and say well can we really verify that he did it can we really verify that this is the man that is the true rapist mm-hmm. they don't want to verify it i believe yeah. that 
their sense of morality is so strong and is so superior that it blinds them in a way where it's uh it's it's interfering with with their way of reasoning i think that was my point i was kind of thinking as i (laughs) as i went along there um that i think that's my point there's this there's this idea of moral superiority that gets people blind in most cases and i think we even have that effect too at times where uh we're trying to uh talk about the rational male with certain individuals and we we have a sense of morality in respect to well these are right because we believe they're right they're based on solid evidence based on evolution and based on deductive reasoning right are we right right. maybe many maybe many people will agree with us if they took the time to be deductive themselves and to be reasonable themselves but this this i this power of of moral superiority can really get to people that's that's my point there Mm. um it could be applied to just about every type of uh hierarchy there is every type of institution uh there is academia for example so universities nowadays they they believe their sense of morality is superior so they decide to alter the culture within universities themselves places like berkeley ucla uh usc heavily left-leaning because they believe Mm -hmm. that that will change the world they believe that that will change the the uh the culture around them, the sense of yeah. uh, the sense of uh, the platform that is around the university, like through cities and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, moral superiority uh, in in high institutions like academia, uh, moral superiority in, in places like the White House, moral superiority in uh, places like um, oh I don't know the military yeah i guess to a well degree. well the military would you say the military is very moral if they're you know if they're killing people for america's interests and hegemony and you know um they're carrying out the interests of america you know um okay so that's uh i think that's a different story yeah when you bring in the the idea or you bring in the fact that they're actually killing and murdering people in regard to right, right, right. America's interest. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking of military in respect to they're defending like a lot of the, the poorer nations and the poorer countries. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we have, sure. yeah, yeah. So we have like garrisoned uh, military in like the Philippines, I think, and, and Japan as mm-hmm. well. Um, so sense of morality there where we're like the big brother. It's like, oh, we need to protect everybody. Because we're we're that we're the daddy, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I I think that's my my whole point or my whole spiel about moral okay. superiority. Definitely. Okay. What else? So let's go over the third the the third moral theory here because this one's really interesting. Some of these are very interesting, actually. Mm. So number three, it's called ethical egoism right and wrong is determined by what is in your self-interest 
or it is immoral to act contrary to your self-interest. Ethical egoism is usually based upon psychological egoism, that we, by nature, act selfishly. Ethical egoism does not imply hedonism, or that we ought to aim for at least some higher goods, such as wisdom, political success, etc., but rather that we will ideally act so as to maximize our self-interest. This may require that we forego some immediate pleasures for the sake of achieving long-term goals. Also, ethical egoism does not exclude helping others. However, egoists will help others only if this will further their own interests. An ethical egoist will claim that the altruist helps others only because they want to, uh, perhaps because they derive pleasure out of helping others, or because they think there will be some personal advantage in doing so. That is, they deny the possibility of genuine altruism, because they think we are also, uh, by nature, selfish. This leads us to the key implausibility of ethical egoism, that the person who helps others at the expense of their self-interest is actually acting immorally. Many think that the ethical egoist has misunderstood the concept of morality, i.e. morality is the system of practical reasoning through which we are guided to constrain our self-interest, not further it. Also, that genuine altruism is indeed possible and relatively commonly exhibited. Yeah. I think of most politicians could be applied to that uh, egoistic morality category. Right, right. Self-interest, furthering their own interests. At times, they can even become immoral, where they forget the whole idea that there is a right and a wrong. Uh, Yeah. I just think of politicians in general. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 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 when you say right and wrong, what is, what constitutes right and wrong, right? Because, like, the very first sentence of this one was, the main premise of it was, Right and wrong is determined by what is in your self-interest, and it's actually immoral to act contrary to your self-interest. Oh. Hmm. That's weird, huh? That's kind of weird. About it. <laughs> because that's not, that's not a, a moral theory that we run across a lot. But we do accept, a lot of people in this country especially, do accept the fact that you know human beings are by nature more selfish or at least people would most people think so and i, I think, think american so, culture has that idea that most people are self-centered yeah. or most people are have their own agenda uh yeah and you can even see this in capitalism right right we we take and, and adam smith's whole theory about you know human beings by nature are selfish therefore we have to set up a system in which we can utilize natural selfishness to benefit all of society Meaning, if you want to become rich, you have to provide some sort of value in return. So all these companies that provide, you know, like Starbucks and and Apple providing all these products and Samsung and whatever, they want money. And that is out of self-interest. They want to maximize profits and minimize their costs. Therefore, they have to provide something back to society. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And since, since capitalism has worked so well, at least in this country, I think for the most part... Um, this whole, I think, I mean, at least this is my opinion about it. I think that pretty much proves in my eyes that human beings by nature are selfish. Um, and, uh, not necessarily saying that this moral theory should be followed or is correct, 
but I do think by nature human beings, for the most part, are selfish. Um, I, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I disagree on that, to be honest. Okay. Um, I think. So, so how would you differ? By nature, I think human needs have a sense of... Uh, they definitely have that sense of, of survival, right? So they can definitely go into that mode where, you know, it becomes like the, the tribal days all over again. Um, mm-hmm. And that connects directly to being selfish. But I think human beings on a on a uh, natural state, they uh, they need a, a sense of community. They need a sense of meaning. So mm-hmm. in order to achieve that, they need to be part of a community, I believe, or or mm. some type of uh, connection in general. Um, so, to a degree, human beings are not selfish to their core. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I can't really back that up as as much as I wish I could right now. <laughs> right, right. So, I think I'm trying to understand your viewpoint first, where. The idea that humans are intrinsically selfish because we have a basic need for survival. Yes? Um, I wouldn't say basic need for survival. I just think in general, we first and foremost think about ourselves before we think about everyone else. Well, I think that's encouraged Meaning... in today's culture, right? So it's encouraged to, to have that self-interest in general. So to focus on yourself and and to... Yeah. Indulge in self-pleasure, I assume, through like, I don't know, um, you know, purchasing things or or stuff of that nature. Uh, so it says here, ethical egoism does not imply hedonism. And hedonism is essentially, you know, things like indulging in um, pleasures such as like buying things or... Um, so, so have you heard of, you know what hedonism versus, uh, like if something is hedonic versus eudaimonic, do you know the difference between that? Not really. <laughs> so, so hedonic is something where you indulge in some things that give you short-term pleasure, such as buying things, such as... Gambling, I think, uh, addictions. Yes, gambling, drugs, alcoholism, yeah. drugs, exactly. Um, these are short-term pleasures that are there, but in the long term, it doesn't give you anything. And eudaimonic is the opposite. It's more about uh, well-being for your, in your long term. It's more about achieving, you know, fulfillment, um, self-actualization, that sort of thing. Um, and so, um, it so it says here, ethical egoism does not imply hedonism. Or that we ought to aim for at least some higher goods, um, but rather that we ideally act so that we maximize our self-interest. Um, and so, so uh, what else does it say? So th- this may require that we forego some immediate pleasures for the sake of achieving long-term goals. Sacrificing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm, let's say, you know, if most guys go to the gym because they want to look better. Um, or they want to, you know, be healthier, or they want to look better for the opposite sex. Are they not doing so by for selfish reasons because they love themselves, I guess, and they want to um, up their, you know, their aesthetics. They want to up their health. They want to up their 
uh, game with women. That's so the to speak. main motivation, I believe, in in respect to most people when they work out. It's I, I they have the sense of narcissistic uh, viewpoint, right? So it's like mm-hmm. uh, they work out because they want to feel good about themselves in the mirror. And with yeah. that being said, they can confirm that good self-image by attracting members of the other sex, essentially. Mm. So, I do agree with you on that point. Yeah. Um, forgot the main point, what I was <laughs> I was going to say. Uh... I think you were going to connect it to someone who goes to the gym for, like, health benefits in the future, maybe? Like, they're not concerned? Yeah, no, 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 just in general. Like, okay. oh, okay, yeah, yeah, here we go, here we go. So so all those things, right, whether it comes to aesthetics, to be more attractive to the opposite, opposite sex, for our, our own health, for whatever reason that you go to the gym, wouldn't it be selfish purposes? Because you're not necessarily thinking about anybody else, unless you're thinking like, other people get to see my awesome body or something like that. And therefore I'm thinking about other people. <laughs> Eight pack, 12 pack. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so wouldn't you say that that would be self-interested or let's say we go to a job and you know, we provide, or let's say we're starting a business, right? Actually. Okay. I'm starting to see your point. It, I think it depends from person to person. I think everyone may have a higher level of self, like higher base nature in which their self-interest is higher. And there are genuine, and then there are other people who have, who are less self-interested by nature. And the reason I say this, and, and I think it comes down to meaning also in your life. So if you find a certain meaning, let's say, and you want to start a business to implement this sort of meaning and to impact other people's lives. Uh Uh-huh. Part of the reason could be that, you know, you want to feel good about yourself, that you're doing this, right? But at the same time, you're also impacting the lives of others, and this is giving you meaning. Now, you are probably going to make money from this, and that, but that is not your primary motivator. Does that make sense? Yeah. That is a motivator, but not your primary motivator. Yeah. Your primary motivator is the meaning that comes from impacting in others' lives and leaving a dent on this planet. Right. So, um... I can understand in that sense that that person does not prioritize their self-interest above others. Right. I believe so. Or, 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 or yeah, above others' interest. It's it's an idea that meaning is so powerful that it could actually alleviate your suffering, alleviate your pain, and, and alleviate uh, any kind of uh, essentially bad feeling in your life. So it's I think mm-hmm. for some people, maybe for most, it's a basic need that they have to uh, meet, essentially. Whether yeah. whether it being, uh, you know, self pleasure in in respect to I don't know being narcissistic or or getting the most money apparently, which could be construed as being selfish. Uh, but you have others who genuinely just want to. Uh, have an impact in others' lives, right? But um, yeah, I th- yeah, that's what I was trying to convey. But yeah, um, yep, yep. Where were we before? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're on the fourth. We're on the fourth moral theory now. How many are there? It's called divine, huh? How many are there? <laughs> 
There's a total of ten. Ten. And we're on the fourth one. Oh my god, we're gonna be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go over a couple for sure. Okay. Um. So the next one is divine command theory. Command theory. And this one, it's basically so it says many claim that there is a necessary connection between morality and religion. Such that without religion, in particular without God or gods, there is no morality, i.e. no right and wrong behavior. Although there are related claims that religion is necessary to motivate and guide people to behave in a morally, in a morally good way. Um, most take the claim of the necessary connection between morality and religion to mean that right and wrong come from the commands of God. Uh, and this view is known as divine command theory. Um, the upshot is that the action is right or obligatory if God command, it, command we do it. Wrong if God commands we, we refrain from doing it. And morally permissible if God does not command that it not be done. So essentially that's the main point of that one. Okay. Um, highly religiously connected. So if yeah. you are religious, this one will apply heavily to you. Yeah. But heavily. I think... And this is just my opinion. I think this is, there's not much reasoning behind this. It's more of if God says it to be true, then that's it. There's no questioning it. There is no, it, it's, it's, that's it. Like, that's the be all end all. Well, some people, that's all they need, to be honest. <laughs> that sense yeah. of uh, meaning, it, it's so powerful to some individuals where they believe in a higher power. And through that higher power, that gives everything. It gives them a sense of morality. It gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them a sense of meaning. It gives them a sense of feeling. It gives them a sense of happiness yeah. too. Uh, you know, some people it works for them. It honestly does. So right, right, right. I've seen yeah, this yeah. through individuals who become priests, right? So they take the oath um, to to be God's servant for the rest of their lives. You also have yeah, monks yeah. who who go to the monasteries and just live their lives <laughs> away from society for the rest yeah. of their lives so it, it works for some people it honestly does yeah 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 definitely so it's essentially yeah it's it's based and founded on the idea of religion right yeah and this idea that if you are if you really strongly believe and in, in your faith and you do have faith then you are more so inclined to um follow your religion and this is what you're going to base your morality off of right yeah that is strong would you say that people with that type of morality have the strongest sense of morality um, out of all the other moralities that, that are out there <laughs> so yes are they the superior morality um, the ones who are deeply faithful to their own religion as as uh, so you're saying Will they stick to their moral set of codes more than any other one? Any yeah. other person? Yeah, essentially. Yes, probably so. Yeah, because I think, for example, every self-interested person, right, when we talk about ethical egoism, has a degree of non-self-interest, right? And that shows up in that shows up in many cases, right? Anybody, for example, who's more of a moral subjectivist, will you know not always go with what they feel you know it's not all about feelings even the people who are predominantly base, basing a lot of their thought process on feelings they're not all gonna be 
you know, looking at just feelings. They will have some facts to back up their thing, right? Um, uh, cultural relativism, you know, I mean, I, that one's that one's up to debate, but right. yeah, no. So comparatively speaking, yes, 100%. So far from what I've seen out of the theories that we've seen, yeah, uh, it looks like divine command theory is one that um, most people would undeniably follow without uh without breaking the code it has the most influence i think Um, yeah yeah that is interesting to be honest it really is let's see here um so just looking at the time right now our time Mm -hmm. we are at one hour and 55 minutes okay if you are still listening uh listener uh props to you because this type of topic is (laughs) I wouldn't say boring, but it's a little. We're, we're just scratching the surface, <laughs> like we're just yeah. We're just calling out the simple turns, and we're just saying what we think. But if you want to, yeah, end, we probably have a part two. Maybe. I mean, it is a very deep conversation to have. Yeah. But you know, if you think uh, you have a specific type of morality that you want to share, go ahead and comment. <laughs> we love to know your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, we pretty much said our own perspective on morality itself and what what we think it is. And I think that's, uh, do you want to call it an episode? Do you think we have everything? Yeah, to yeah. Oh, wow. So, no, I, I think we've gotten, I think we got pretty far. <laughs> we got a lot of good discussion in on this we one. We talked a lot, a lot, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how much we talk about in general. Oh my god, jeez, we do two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one felt long for it, some reason. It felt reason. really long for some reason. <laughs> uh, it, like, we always have two-hour episodes, but this one in particular just, I don't know what it was. This one took it out of me. Maybe, maybe it was I was already topic. tired coming into it. Probably. That's probably or maybe it was too. a topic, yeah. Because it, it took a lot of thinking, to be honest. <laughs> I feel <laughs> my, my brain power. yeah, I feel my brain power just gone now. <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean we'll let you guys know what our next topic is going to be but as of next episode uh we got an odyssey report coming up so yeah yeah and hopefully uh we'll have a better uh quality episode next episode because we'll be together in person actually so yeah look forward to that and definitely definitely if you want to record it um i mean camera wise it's up to you we'll have that we'll have that discussion off off uh mic Definitely, yeah, yeah, for sure. But as of right now, uh, good episode. Cool, cool. See you soon. Signing off. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.